With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Slow Burn Media, Evergreen Podcasts, and Killer Podcast presents Who Killed? a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. I keep meeting people from Long Island. The first thing we talk about if we're around the same age is, so, remember Ricky Casso? Sure do. A Long Island, New York couple said today that it was the devil, drugs, and rock and roll that led their son to ritual murder. Satanism, Judas Priest, give me a break, right? 17-year-old Richard Casso was accused of murdering another 17-year-old, Gary Lowers, in what police called a sacrificial killing. Nobody messes with the acid king. They claimed he was high on mescaline when he was arrested. The wall between fantasy and reality is slowly going to like start to like fade, you know. Police believe that members of a devil worship cult, the Knights of the Black Circle, took Lowers to a wooded area in Northport, New York. They just dragged a kid into the woods here at Northport. Casho and a group of friends performed a bizarre ritual, stabbing Lauer, burning articles of his clothing, and cutting out his eyes. What the fuck is going on in the suburbs, man? Casho would accuse Lowers of stealing drugs. Angel dust was stolen and like it became this contentious thing. It wasn't like 50 hits of acid, it was like angel dust and the guy was like fucked up out of his mind. Well, drugs played an important part in young Casso's life and so apparently did the devil. That was the golden age of Satan. In the park where the group congregated, there was Satanistic graffiti. Well, they would build a fire and sit around the fire and, uh, and take an animal, a dog usually, and uh, torture it to death. In the town I grew up in, would not have had those kids. Richard Casso was awaiting trial on a charge of opening a 19th century grave. He needed a skull for this ritual he was going to do. Long Island in the 80s was a pretty weird place. Satanism provided the method for the murder, if not the motive. Neighbors are scared that these devil worshippers may take their tea next. I mean, the 80s were fucking stupid, man. It was as though the devil was an actual entity hanging out at the 7-Eleven on the corner, hanging out in some kids' rooms. Ricky, like, wasn't, like, an occultist. He just, like, you know, carried around a satanic Bible. He couldn't even spell Satan right. Richard Katza was a dropout, a drifter, and a drug user and dealer. All right, Jesse, thank you so much for joining us again this week on Who Killed? We're going to pick up our conversation about uh, Ricky Casso and Jeanette De Palma. And uh, how are you doing this week? I'm doing all right. How you been? I've been good, man. Just uh, enjoying the sunshine in Denver. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good place to be. I mean, it's a legal state. It's beautiful. You got mountains. I mean... You know, it's it's probably a good thing to take your mind off of all the hate mail and and the mailbox bombs you got after my appearance last week. So I'm glad you're out there enjoying yourself and um, hopefully under armed protection. I actually am. I am sitting here armed and I am uh, definitely protecting <laughs> myself. So uh, let's just we're, jump back into what we were discussing uh, we're, we're last week. We're both in the studio with like a bunch of armed goons around Shh, us. We can't tell everybody what's what, what really going on. But yeah. <laughs> You know, again, last week was awesome. So let's just jump right back into where we were talking uh, about uh, 
Ricky and uh, Jeanette's case. Sure thing. Awesome. But yeah, but but Fincher, you know, I, I and I don't know how much Fincher was aware of this shit with Grace Smith. Because Grace Smith was on set. It, I know that much. Yeah. And I mean, obviously they had to to deal with him, you know, to some degree because it was his book they were optioning. But, you know, seeing the pass that Fincher ostensibly gave mm-hmm. to Grace Smith in his presentation of Zodiac doesn't make me very confident that he would have explored with honesty the shit that Amber just later got into. And that's fair. I think he would have. Yeah. But I could be completely wrong. You but know, it's sort of like what knows, you said maybe. about JFK, too. You know, great movie. But mm-hmm. um, if you look at the, the multitude of conspiracy theories that would have had to um, to get to that point, it, it's just it's it's a stretch. And then at the end of the movie, you know, he walks into the hardware store and it's like, well, we know what you're saying here. You're saying it's Arthur Lee Allen and they're were DNA tests that proved it was not Arthur Lee Allen. Well, here's the thing about those DNA tests, because I used to be at the same school of thought like, oh, yeah, no, duh, they ruled out Arthur Lee Allen with the DNA on the stamp of that letter. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out that DNA test that they did all those years ago on it, they did a touch DNA test on the top of the stamp. What? Thousands of people have handled that letter. No. They did not. I always was under the impression that, oh, yeah, no, they, they use some sort of solvent to remove the stamp and then got saliva from the underside of it. And that's the DNA they tested. No, they didn't do that. It was a surface touch DNA test. So so it could Alan basically is not as cleared as they want you to think in the Zodiac community. OK, <laughs> OK. So, I mean, and you do see, obviously, in the movie, it is skewed by Grace Smith's perspective. And I know that we're going to mm-hmm. getting off topic here, but it is it does all come back to all of these different things because, you know, with Zodiac and what Graysmith did, you know, he's also projecting what he wants to see. So he's writing a story about what he thinks he's seeing and then passing it off as a factual account to the Zodiac killings where in other cases, you have like Robert Ressler, who in 1990 wrote in Whoever Killed Kills Monsters uh, about Amy Mahalovic's suspect being, mm-hmm. you know, named him as the suspect. And then, the, you know, the guy had killed himself. And so that kind of put that case on the back burner because people thought, OK, well, this FBI profiler says it's this guy. Well, and it goes back to all these different people they can take one just one quote one person to send a case to a different dimension you talk about the casso case bringing it all the way back to casso Mm -hmm. where he's like you said in a drug induced state and screaming about satan as he's stabbing his friend yeah, I mean, like, they were not in the right frame of mind by any degree. One of Casso's accomplices, Albert Canones, testified at trial that he was hallucinating a tiger chasing them around in the woods that night. So, like, the fact that he's babbling about Satan while he's killing this kid means nothing. The guy is out of his mind on angel dust. Angel dust. And we've, we've seen what angel dust can do 
to grown people. This was a 17 year old kid who was emaciated from living in the woods. God knows what PCP was doing to his brain, but we've seen people, you know, well nourished, you know, adults take that shit. And the next thing you know, they're cutting someone's skin off and eating it. Yeah. I mean, you never know how a drug of that magnitude and that potency will impact anybody, let alone a 17 year old. Mm -hmm. And what kind of, pre-existing conditions he already had because clearly he had been abused mentally and physically and that and he had at least one diagnosis of manic depression which is now known as bipolar disorder which is a huge deal especially back then yeah your brain chemical it's it's a chemical imbalance in your brain now imagine introducing you know pcp into that chemical imbalance is it really any surprise that some shit like this happened you know what i mean no and it's not to say like you know we don't want to be reefer madness and say like oh my god you you do one hit of angel dust you're gonna jump out the window but let's just also be honest angel dust is a hell of a lot more potent of a drug than marijuana and yeah there's a possibility you might actually do something crazy like that and well yeah if i remember correctly it was developed as an animal tranquilizer <laughs> well i mean thank look what's going on around the country i mean trank is now the leading oh i keep rolling my eyes at all this shit and i'm sure some of your listeners are gonna are gonna hear uh, hate hearing me say this but like all this shit about ketamine therapy oh. is really making me roll my eyes because the first place i ever read about ketamine therapy for depression was in an Anne rule book about mysterious deaths and uh disappearances and like the woman who founded the idea of ketamine therapy, they called them psychonauts back in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know what ended up happening to her? She went crazy and killed herself. Well, she she did a bunch of PCP one night and wandered off into the woods. And like a year later, they found her skull in a tree. And that's it. That's all we know about her. So not a great endorsement of your therapy practices. No, you know? no. And I, and I question a lot of that stuff, especially having, you know, done traditional therapy, talk therapy for decades. I, I just feel like some mm. of these people, these doctors, they want to make a name for themselves. And I think there's situations, especially in the 80s, where it was basically ripe for the picking. You could mm-hmm. make a name for yourself by appearing on Geraldo or Oprah or Donahue or Sally Jesse and, you know, sit, pawn yourself off as an expert in this particular field because you've written, I don't know, a couple articles that got published somewhere. And actually, you know, we ever heard of uh, a guy calling himself Dr. Sebi? Oh, now you're making my brain work overdrive. He was this guy that came over to America in the 80s and legally changed his name to Dr. Sebi so he could legally call himself a doctor without having a medical degree. <laughs> and he opened up a shop in New York. Where that, is, he claimed, that actually is a pretty boss move. Not going to, you know. I mean, it is pretty funny. It's pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, not saying the end result was, was anything good, but... Damn, no. that is a pretty bold and ballsy move. But you name yourself doctor. It's like something out of like a Danny McBride <laughs> yes. movie or some shit. I changed my name to doctor. You have to fucking call me doctor now, okay? McLovin. But uh, yeah, McLovin. He, he opened up a sh- yeah. <laughs> he fucking opened up a shop in New York and then took out ads in the Village Voice saying, "I have cured AIDS." And oh. so, like all these poor, desperate people. We're like, we'll, we'll try anything. And they went to this guy and he literally just gave them fruit juice mm. and said, here, 
This is a sacred blend of fruit juice in my country that is proven to kill AIDS. And uh, yeah, surprise, surprise, it didn't fucking work. No. And um, no, my uncle probably he got in trouble a couple yeah. times, but no one ever really put a stop to him. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, having a lost an uncle during that time to that epidemic, it is definitely. I think you would have tried anything, and I think oh, there's yeah. a lot of people that paid probably good money to that dude and got nothing out of it and then you know there wasn't really much you could do thousand dollars a month he was charging people wow i mean there wasn't much you could do at that time because we didn't understand what the hell was going on but then again we can also blame uh certain reagan (laughs) you named him uh yes we can blame we can blame nancy and we can blame ron and uh yeah they basically were the ones that stood in the way of any bit of uh scientific exploration into the disease yeah what what, what great fucking human beings those two fucking assholes yeah. were you know rock hudson their longtime friend calling them up do you think you could get me help me get into a good hospital oh well i'm sorry rock uh, that wouldn't be a good look for me to help someone out with the gay cancer so uh tough break bye-bye yeah real compassionate solid, solid impression right there, there bud um, uh, he's, he's, I fucking hate Yeah, him. you know, he and I just he's been so idolized and like put into this different atmosphere as far as what a politician is. And it's like, dude, he was a bad guy, man. Like, oh, no, conservatives love Reagan because until Reagan came along, they had to go all the way back to Abraham Lincoln to cite a Republican that had fucking done anything good for someone. <laughs> so, like, finally, they had this guy. They were like, hey, you liked him in the movie with the chimp, right? He's a great president. Like, don't mind the fact that his brain is fucking melting while he's uh, deciding international policy. But, oh, uh, yeah, if, if, any, if anyone was like, uh, you know, questioning what sort of political alignment that I have before this interview, I think it's pretty fucking clear now. But I'm sorry. What that guy did was absolutely fucking horrible. His policy decisions were responsible for millions of deaths yeah. that could have, you know, you couldn't have prevented all of them. But look at where we at where we're at now with HIV and AIDS research. Right. Like we would have had a little bit more of a head start if he had given funding for the organizations in America seven that was years spearheading this research. He sat on that seven, seven, seven or fucking you know, years, and uh, you know, having directly been impacted by it, it's it does leave a really bad taste in my mouth. And if people ever question why I don't like Reagan, it's pretty pretty simple. Uh, yeah, I think that's all you need. He could have been a flawless president other than that, and he still would have been a piece of shit for doing that. That 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 was his response to the AIDS crisis alone was uh, uh, enough for me to to completely write him off. And, you know, him. Uh, what did they call that? The moral majority mm-hmm. back in the 80s, him boosting the moral majority up during that time, of course, helped with the satanic panic. Of you know, course. It, it, it's it's. Uh, it sounds like we've like kind of gotten off the farm with some of the things that we're talking about here, but it's all branches it's, that are indicative of this issue. It's exactly right. And it, like I was saying before, yeah, we're skewing uh, off into different segments, but they're all connected because if you look at the policies of Ray, uh, of Nixon, you know, the just say no and the, um, the war on drugs. And I know Nancy was the one that you always think of as the just say no uh 
martyr for drugs and addiction and stuff like that. And it's just like, wow, we're just going to go with a catchphrase and hope that solves all the problems of drug addiction and the, uh, they should have given all the credit that they give her for that to Betty Ford. Exactly. Exactly right. Exactly right. She did way more work. Like, oh, cool. You went on different strokes and said drugs are bad. Wow. Fucking groundbreaking. Punky Brewster, too. (laughs) Oh, man. They did a whole episode. (laughs) Yeah. That's a fucking name I haven't heard in in many moons. Punky Brewster, man. Fucking... What a good time for television, yeah. but what a bad time for society. You know, it, it's so it's super interesting because I think when you go, go back to our childhoods in the 80s and the, the television that we were watching, you know, that was Reagan who decided that you could advertise towards kids again. And mm-hmm. all those commercials or aka cartoons that we watched were really just commercials for products. <laughs> That's why I like Nickelodeon so much when I was a kid, because they were like, yeah, no, we're not even going to try and hide it now. Like, you know, the the shows you're watching, they're commercials for products. And then we're going to put the coolest fucking commercials known to man in between them all. Like I I, sometimes like if I'm in like a little bit of a bad mood, I'll, I'll get like some nostalgia going up on my Roku TV. And it's like, yeah, let me watch one of these compilations of all the cool Nickelodeon toy commercials from when I was a kid. Like. You know, like because they, they they would have jingles and earworms like every couple months I'll be doing something and all of a sudden the animal, <laughs> the animal will come into my head and I'm like, oh, yeah, it was that cool fucking monster truck they were trying to sell me when I was a kid. Yeah, I Joe. Oh, my God. Yeah. All that stuff and creepy crawlers <laughs> like. They should do like I'm serious about this. Like someone should do like Mad Men, but for the people that came up with that shit in the nineties. <laughs> oh, I would that watch would be, the hell out of that. You know, that would be like um Yeah, that would have been hysterical. I would have loved to have seen somebody like Norm MacDonald be in charge of of like that. <laughs> yeah, we got this uh this monster truck and it's got uh claws that come out of the, the wheels and shit. It's fifty dollars. Check it out. I changed I changed I changed my name. <laughs> Yeah. Kids don't have $50, Norm. Yeah, but their parents do. <laughs> yeah. Put a catchy song in, in the commercial so the kids won't shut up about it. They'll buy it to shut them up. Yeah, and then, like, you think about uh, American Greetings, the Care Bears, and... Oh, God, and the whole Beanie Baby debacle. Beanie Baby debacle. Yeah, we've all been duped. I mean, we're kids. We're stupid. We, and you look at what we were being told and you're not like, we're not even that far off base because if you just flip the channel from Nickelodeon or whatever you were watching, you were going to get the satanic panic on some adult talk. You were going to get the panic about anything. You flip the fucking channel and put on saved by the bell. And they're warning you that coffee's going to turn you into a raving maniac. <laughs> I'm so I mean, excited. They they did that shit in the the fucking second Star Wars prequel. Remember that shit, the Death Sticks and Attack of the Clones. I remember being in the theater even at fifteen and going, "What the fuck is this shit? Why are we having a dare moment in a Star Wars?" What movie? were the Death Sticks? Were they like cigarettes? It, it, I don't remember because they never show anyone using them. But it was it was Obi Wan goes into like one of these space bars because hey, remember the the Katana scene, <laughs> cantina scene from the original? Let's throw it back. Let's do it again. And like some guys is like, you want death sticks? Because, you know, um, aliens are all British in Star Wars for some reason. <laughs> they filmed and uh, in Britain. it's just like, 
You don't want to sell me death sticks. I don't want to sell you death sticks. And it's just like, all right, I get that these are movies for kids, but like, can we not have the fucking just say no shit in in a fucking movie that uh, you need drugs to enjoy first off? Because Attack of the Clones fucking sucks. Sure. Uh, just putting that out there. Come for the true crime. Stay for the Star Wars critique, people. <laughs> I'm a millennial with a beard. I can't help it. And yeah, at the end of the day, like, we don't need all that messaging being sent to us. It's we should be able to make up our minds for ourselves when we're children. And yet they've allowed it to become the biggest market in advertising. And it was a market. Like I, we really need to hammer this home for the listeners who might just be like, well, why, why are we talking about consumerism when this was a moral panic? Because there was a lot of money involved there not just with the mass media and like hey we can sell papers with this but again with the whole moral majority back then like you didn't have to be pat robertson to cash in on this there was a period of time about 10 years ago where you could not go into a goodwill or a salvation army without encountering like a dozen of these independently produced VHS tapes that were made for these little local churches back in the 80s and 90s, all about like, you know, Satanism today and the Democrat Satan agenda. There were books that were being sold uh, by religious organizations. Uh, God, what were they called? Was it Terror in the Toy Box? Do you remember those? I don't, but that does not surprise me at all. It's all about fear. Yeah, let me see if I can uh, find yeah. the... Uh, you know, those oh, when they God. start marketing directly towards churches or towards like the congregant or the, the mm -hmm. members of the church and the congregation itself, you're like you're basically buying into that BS when you sign up for that. You know, full. Well, yeah, it's all that like righteous gemstones shit. <laughs> like, you know, Y2K is coming. You got to buy our food bucket or go get go get Amy Lee's record and all this stuff like they you were going to church, some of these churches back then, and it, they were basically commercials for these products. Like, oh, if you're if you're concerned about what your your kids are playing with or viewing, go out and get this book by this good Christian author, Phil Phillips. It's called Turmoil in the Toy Box, and he's going to tell you all about how the Ninja Turtles are going to make your children pray to Satan. And I'm not fucking exaggerating. They they wrote two of these fucking books. Wow. Yeah, and. Yeah, they're hawking tapes, books, cassettes, all this stuff. Like, if you want to save your children from the clutches of Satan, be sure to buy this product. And it duped a lot of fucking people. It still does. Like, I, you know, again, you and I are of the same age. Like, we all knew that one kid in school who was just, you try to talk to him about, you know, uh, something on TV. And they'd be like, oh, my parents don't let me watch TV. Or we don't have one. <laughs> Yeah, we don't have a TV. You know, there was always a kid like that. I'm sure everyone listening right now, they're like, oh, yeah, there was a, that there was that guy in my class or there that girl in my class. They weren't allowed to listen to, you know, I dated a girl like that in junior high. Um, I asked her uh, if she was into the Beatles because uh, they're my favorite band. And she told me, oh, yeah, they're the only secular music that I'm allowed to listen to. 
And I'm like, what's secular music? <laughs> I thought they were a rock band. And she's like, well, no, like, you know, my mom only really wants us to listen to, you know, the Christian station, but she'll let us listen to the Beatles, which is kind of hysterical now, like how in 30 years there was that sort of tide change mm-hmm. because the Beatles were were a part of that whole right. thing, too, that like, oh, this rock music by these long hairs from England, they're going to turn your kids into juvenile delinquents and homosexuals and satan eventually kind of got into it like later after john lennon was killed oh the paul is dead and all that shit at least that was fun though i don't think that really hurt anyone i mean other than paul but you know (laughs) i'm sure you know hey maybe it didn't hurt him too much i'm sure a lot of people were buying his records just to go shit we gotta play it backwards we gotta see what the message is this time who cares if we scratch it let's go buy another one (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was it was that George Carlin bit on that one album. And he goes, the latest research shows that if you play the new Beatles records backward, it fucks up your needle. <laughs> you know? Oh, George but, Carlin wish he was still alive today. Oh, yeah. He, you know, I, it's so cliche to say, but he really was a modern prophet. And he, he was, was out there warning us about all this shit. He was because they all don't need like he said, they don't all need to be in the same room to be in on you know, the grift. And that's what this stuff was like. Of course, were there some, you know, pastors and politicians that sincerely believed in this? Of course, some people are fucking dumb. But by and large, this was just another movement that was, you know, we can castigate those people in society that we don't like. We don't we don't like these kids that are into metal. We don't like these homosexuals. We don't like people that are in horror movies. We don't like women that speak up too much. So, aha, if they get out of line, we'll say that they're devil worshipers or they're witches or now, oh, they're pedophiles that are in on the, uh, you know, the Epstein ring. Which, you know, unfortunately was a real thing. But, you know, now the catch 22 is anytime someone wants to write someone they don't like off, especially an Internet comment debate, which is, you know, fucking scourge on society. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I don't like it. Well, you know, I want to shut you down. Well, I'm going to say, oh, you're you you're probably one of these people that fucking was on Epstein's list or something. You know what I mean? It, it, It completely like took an issue that was serious and needed examination. And it just became, Oh, it's just another fucking bullet point for, you know, people arguing about politics online. Like, and that's a big reason why I didn't believe in any of those conspiracy theories about Epstein when they happened was, you know, people are out there saying like, do you honestly believe that such a high profile criminal would have been unattended in a New York prison and allowed to commit suicide? And I'm like, yeah, I wrote a fucking book about it. It happens all the fucking time. Yeah, especially a guy who's in jail for the things that he was in jail for. You know, that's uh, Mm -hmm. that's one of those things. It's like, okay, yeah, it's easy to see that. Yeah, there were a lot of connections to high powered individuals. But uh, yeah, you know, that takes a leap to say that uh, they infiltrated the jail and somehow had it murdered. I know it happens in movies. Those those fucking connections got him nowhere. No. I mean, maybe it helped him get off that first time he was arrested like 20 years ago before the Internet couldn't help spread the word about you. But at the end of the day, it's just like 
and I'm not trying to shill for the government here because again, I know we know for a fact the government does shady shit. They lie about shit all the time. They're still fucking lying about stuff like Saudi Arabia's involvement uh-huh, in 9-11. Right. And I'm not one of these Bush did 9-11 people, but it's, I'm also not stupid enough to think like, oh yeah, no, they told us the truth about everything. You know, like, and, and I know someone's going to take that fucking soundbite from me and they're going to be like, see, Jesse's a 9-11 truther. It's like, no, I don't believe that the planes that hit the buildings were fucking holograms. And I don't think that Dick Cheney was spraying the fucking parking garage with super thermite or anything like that. But, you know, like the stuff like the, it is a fact. The 9-11 commission report, you know, actively covered up shit that did not make Saudi Arabia look good. Uh, you know, it didn't make it look good. So stuff like that, like we know about the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which was a major force into us getting into the conflict in Vietnam. And that was bullshit that was dreamed up by Johnson and the Joint Chief of Staff. Mm-hmm. Um, th- there was all the MK Ultra shit. Yep. The- now, I'm not a huge, you know, I, I don't really believe so much in that whole Manchurian candidate thing. But we know they were trying to figure it out. But if you actually dig into like MK Ultra, you find out it's more like Pineapple Express. Like I remember reading some of these documents years ago and basically the CIA's like idea of how they could put this into effect was, uh, what if we smear like LSD on like a political enemy's like car wheel? So when he gets in his car to like drive home, the LSD like gets into his hands and, uh, he hallucinates and crashes and then he dies like like that. That was like the bulk of what they were trying to figure out. It was dumb shit. Yeah. But the Dulles brothers that awesome. <laughs> say what the Dulles brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, it was it was Alan and uh, oh, God, what was what was his uh, uh, I forget. But I know that they still way, the, yeah, the we- airport still named after him, even though they committed all these atrocities. It's like. Are they oh, going to yeah, name something no, after but, Henry Kissinger? We sure as hell hope not. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's cool. They took Spiro Agnew's bust out of the vice president hall or whatever the fuck it was. You know, like that was there. Like, hey, see, it's all better now. Mm-hmm. We threw Spiro under the bus. Yep. But what I'm getting at here with all of that is like you would think that if the government was as nefarious and in on all of these quote unquote pedophile rings and cabals, like they would have been able to get Jeff out of that little bit of trouble. And they didn't. But, but then again, you know, people will just be like, well, yeah, of course, you know, he was the sacrificial lamb so they could keep doing it. And it's just like, the conversation goes nowhere at that point because there's a conspiratorial answer for everything or they fall back on this old chestnut, which is, Hey, I don't know. I don't know everything. I'm just asking questions, man. I'm just asking questions. It's like, well, they're stupid questions. They're stupid questions that aren't productive for anything in society. And what they do is they divide and they make people question things that are basic common sense, but yet, no, we're going to listen to somebody on, you know, Fox news, lie all day long about certain things mm-hmm. and then we wonder why the country's so jacked up i mean it's like okay well it's because you're being fed bullshit the whole day and if you're consuming that you're going to become absolutely a nutbag and cut your dad's head off and then post it on youtube 
Yeah. Oh my God. That isn't that story great. Yeah. Oh, the, wonderful. I, I loved watching MAGA people squirm about that on Twitter that morning mm-hmm. because they were all like, we need like they were literally posting this stuff on Twitter. They're like, we need we need to figure out, you know, like a cohesive response to this because, you know, everyone's just gonna think that this guy represents us. And it's like he does. This is what your shit does to people. Mm-hmm. You 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 like and, and, and I'm not saying that in the same way that people say well your Ozzy Osbourne records will make people crazy but if there's people out there that already have paranoid delusions and every time they turn on the fucking television or look at their phone or get on a computer some fucking capitalist is trying to sow division because division sells and they fuel the division with conspiracy theories that they're all out to get you they're gonna fuck your kids they're gonna kill your kids they're gonna turn your wife into a lesbian and the president is gonna force everyone to become a Muslim and the aliens are involved in all this shit. If, if you have a predisposition towards mental illness, consuming that level of bullshit every day is not going to be helpful. No. So that's all I'm getting at there. Like, yeah, well, I mean, I just think it's a part of our society now that we have these people that literally will go on public airwaves and lie to the public about what is actually going on to think that people are that clueless that they can't look around and see things for themselves, but they have to listen through a uh, filter such as, you know, OAN or whatever uh, one of these crap networks. All they're doing is just, they don't have policies. They don't have any solutions. All they want to do is, divide and sell shit and you yeah, talk about it's all about selling you talk shit. about you know, the it's, alex jones of the world you know he's still selling buy food my bags. energy supplements yeah buy, buy my supplements buy my food bags and it's like okay what are we fucking preparing for because what you're doing is saying what every cult leader has said in the past the world's gonna come to an end and you need to have all this stuff be a prepper blah 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 and then that day comes and passes and the cult leader has to set another date and you see you saw it in jonestown you see it in Mother God, you saw it in the, uh, you know, Heaven's Gate cult. Like all these people who run these cults, they set these dates to have these big things happen, and then all of a sudden nothing happens, and so then they end up whatever, killing everybody. And so yeah. it's kind of like I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but it's like if you continue to lie to people, some bad shit's going to happen. And if you lie and lie and lie and lie, even the most Sane people will start to believe some of the shit that you say because they will just be beaten down by the fact that, well, they've said it 50 times today, so it must be true. Well, and that's the problem in this country is unless you can afford to go to a decent college, which most people cannot in this country, you are not taught media literacy. No, you know, in most public schools, and I'm not advocating for private schools when I say this, but I'm calling a spade a spade here. Um, most public schools, they teach you how to pass a test. Like that one's, you, you ever watch The Wire? Oh, yeah. uh, number one show on my list. Yes, absolutely. The whole season with Prez oh, as a teacher is one a of the fucking best documentary. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. We're not, te- we're not trying to teach them how to fucking understand this or do this. We're trying to teach them to pass this test. Otherwise, we do not get funding in the district anymore. Thank God I did not go to a school like i mean nowadays it's probably like that but i swear oh yeah and we could thank george bush for that with no child left behind exactly and that look at what that's done to our national or international rankings nothing and you know we have and common core too like dude like i'm not trying to like pat myself on the back here but i i would consider myself a reasonably intelligent person but I graduated high school before all this common core shit came in. Same. And now my son will bring me his math homework. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, math homework. I can help you. No problem. And then I'll read some of this stuff and go, why is this like reading legalese? My brain feels scrambled trying to mm-hmm. read this. Yeah. And and it's not helping anyone. But it's just like, well, this is what, you know, the state says that we have to, you know, prove as a metric with passing a test. So that is the focus of our curriculum. My ex-wife is a kindergarten teacher and she has to teach them how to take the test. And it's like, what happened to being a child? What happened to mm-hmm. like, this is what happened in the world. Of course, they skewed that too, because we couldn't say Christopher Columbus was a colonist and uh and a slave owner we had to say he was great and he's you know made the found america and blah 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 and thanksgiving and yeah shit. he was so yeah. great he uh he, he he set sail for the for india and ended up in fucking florida <laughs> sounds like he had a great yeah. compass and uh oh that that was like one of my first like and again i'm not trying to so- sound self-aggrandizing but th- this did happen and it's always kind of cracked me up i remember being in like second grade And it was right around that time in the mid 90s where um, society was making a decent effort to be like, can we stop calling Native Americans Indians, please? They're not from fucking India. Mm -hmm. That's not what they're really called. And I remember I had a teacher that for whatever reason wasn't subscribing to that woke bullshit, quote unquote, in her mind. And she just kept calling them Indians. And finally, I just raised my hand and I said, why do we call them Indians? Well, you see, Christopher Columbus thought that he was in India when actually he was in North America. And I said, oh, so like, so like, it's we wrong. know that they're not from fucking India. Then why are we calling them Indians? And she had no answer for it because it wasn't in the curriculum sheet, I guess. But, you know, it's it, a lot of these issues that we're talking about, like because a lot of people are, you know, will you know, it's hindsight is 2020 and maybe we're coming off extremely callous as being like, look at all these dummies that are falling for the satanic panic and all of these other things. But the educational system in this country, again, does not teach you the skills that you need to read a news story and go, hmm, OK, let me consider the source. What are they using to back this up? Oh, a quote is being used here. Well, is the quote identified or is this a unnamed source, which everybody loves saying nowadays? Oh, they are named. Oh, they're they're a professor. Where do they teach? Are they one of these professors that still believes the Holocaust didn't happen? Like these are skills that I had to develop on my own over time. Because I would run into situations like that, like like what we talked about earlier with Gray Smith, like, oh, Middle Eastern terrorist. Uh, what, you know, terrorist organization were they? Oh, he's, he's a dude from Philadelphia. But 
those skills that I have acquired, those are skills that should be taught to everyone from middle school on up because that's when they start teaching you in social studies to read the newspaper every day. But they never taught you, or at least for me back when I was a kid, they never taught you how to critically analyze a newspaper. And that is still the bulk of where people are getting their information from. Newspapers, television journalism, and documentaries. And unfortunately, for for better or worse, social media, but I don't take anyone that gets their news from social media seriously. So I don't even like consider that as part of, you know, a valid part of the equation, I guess. But yeah, it's scary. dude. It's, It's very scary. I mean, I was lucky enough to have a broadcast teacher when I was in senior year of high school and his mm-hmm. uh, his name r.i.p was dennis cranack and he was awesome he was one of the teachers that definitely got me into the field of journalism gave me the great quote of being a reporter gives you the front row seat to history and it was just like mm-hmm. oh all right and he's also like and remember to read both sides of the aisle because you have to make your own decision on what is the truth because And to piggyback on that really quick, not to cut you off, but I do really think this needs to be said. Not only does being a reporter give you the front row seat to history, it also shoulders the burden of being the creator of history in the sense that history is written by the victor. Detailing the victor in. Yeah. And the victor in this sense is ostensibly the. the 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 shining beacon on the hill of we are a society with a free press and when you're operating in that free press in the society you have to take that as a sacred duty of well no i'm not just writing a a day-to-day story that's going to be forgotten in 24 hours no you're documenting history you were you may be working on just a little article that you think well this isn't a big deal it's just one little piece as part of a broader story but 20, 30, 40, 50, maybe 100 years down the road, that is going to be the firsthand documentation that historians and journalists use to be like, okay, what are the facts here? And unfortunately, a lot of day-to-day journalists do not see that that way. It's just, ah, it's a fucking job, or eh, if it bleeds, it leads, or this is what the editor wants me to do. And it's like, no, it's more sacred than that. Like, you have to... You have to treat every story that you're writing about with uh, if it's a life or death thing. And that was the responsibility that I always tried to remind myself of while writing true crime, where it's like, yeah, this is entertainment for a lot of people because a lot of people enjoy getting the willies from true crime. But there is also an opportunity here to correct the record for something that has been decimated by shitty journalism in the past. It, it was a sacred duty for me to, you know, give the, the Lowers family in the Casso case, you know, some sort of, I mean, closure is such a cliche word if there even is such a thing as closure, but at least they know, well, the true story is out there now, or at least as true of the story that can be determined all these years later. It's not the fucking national enquirer version of the events and and the same with the De Palma case that I wrote about the the conclusion that my co-author Mark Moran and I ultimately came to was she was Jeanette was killed by a 
um, serial killer that was operating in Union County, New Jersey at the time, uh, Richard Cottingham, because Cottingham straight up told me from jail. He goes, yeah, I'm pretty sure I killed her. And he backed up why he thinks that she was one of his victims. Um, but again, if you consult the original newspaper coverage from back then, like, no, no, Satanist. It was witches, bro. Boo. It's like, come the fuck on. So I think the reason why we are at such a shitty place in history with um, the facts being maintained in uh, very important events is I think a lot of people have lost sight of what their duty is as a journalist, but that's my soapbox take on it at least. Yeah. And you know, like the Jeanette Palma case, and we've covered that on, you know, just to give a little promo, you, you were on crime capsule, another show that I produce. Mm -hmm. And that's the case that we talked about. And, you know, just shout out to yeah, Ben. Shout out to Ben. And uh, you know, in regards to that case, you know, give the give the listeners just a little quick synopsis on how that case got misconstrued. Well, that case is just as chilling with with the stuff um in the Casso um case. Like with Casso, we talked about like the build up to everybody believing that it could have been well, not everybody, but the majority of of the press and the police believing that this was a satanic cult. Like you had the fact that, well, I mean, you know, Ricky did kind of like dig up a grave looking for a skull to take to the Amityville Horror House. And well, yeah, there was that kind of there was a group of pot dealers out on Main Street that had pentagrams on their jacket. So like the stage had been set. They didn't exactly pull it out of their ass or invent it out of whole cloth. But, you know, there were some reasons that let's just put it this way. There were enough twos to put together to make five. You know what I mean? Sure. And the Jeanette Palma story was the same way. Only nine months before Jeanette vanished and was killed, only two miles away in the next town over in Westfield, there was a guy by the name of John List. Have you ever heard of him? Oh, yeah. The, fam the so family annihilator? Yep. And for our listeners who don't know, there was this guy named John List who lived in Westfield, New Jersey. He was an accountant. Um, he lived beyond his means. Uh, he bought this big mansion in Westfield and moved his wife and three kids and his elderly mother into it. Well, he lost his job. He was, you know, too ashamed to tell his family that he was unemployed. So he would get up um, just like that movie Falling Down. He would get up every morning, put a suit on and then just go sit at the train station every day and then go home at five pretending he had been at work. Meanwhile, the bills and bills are piling up. And one day he just couldn't take it anymore. And he shot and killed his whole family, including his mother, wrapped him up in sleeping bags, turned the air conditioning down and uh, fled. And his his deeds went undiscovered for about three weeks. And once that story broke, it kind of got out into the media that, oh, yeah, uh, John's daughter, Patricia. Yeah, I remember she used to walk around Westfield High School and say that she was a witch and had an altar in the woods of Westfield. So then the press and the cops are talking about like, oh, well, maybe this was this was some sort of witchcraft ritual that he killed the whole family. And of course it fucking wasn't. It was it was some asshole that that couldn't find another job because he had shitty people skills and he let a whole bunch of debt, you know, rack up and he figured the easy way out was killing his family, moving to Virginia and changing his name, which he did. And he got away with it for fucking 19 years, which is nuts. Um, but that was still in the ether that whole like, well, his daughter was a witch and said she had an altar in the woods. 
And then there was another factor where, again, about a mile away from there was this big patch of sacred Native American land called the Wachung Reservation. And it wasn't like an Indian reservation like, you know, most people would think of. It's more like a, a state park. Like there's horse stables and hiking trails and there's like a deserted workers village that people like to go ghost hunting in and all of that stuff. But it's just this big, beautiful patch of uh, like 90 percent unspoiled land in uh, um, central New Jersey. But in the early 70s, people started finding creepy shit in those woods. Uh, birds with their necks broken and bowls of blood with feathers in them and offerings of candles and wine. Now, I mean, obviously, that's got like an occult bent to it and they never really figured out who was doing it. There were like no arrests that were made or anything, but... I mean, come on, what's the most obvious possibility here? Is it a real cult or is it teenagers that were listening to a little too much Alice Cooper and decided to go and fuck with some birds and animals in the woods? So you had all of that in the ether. You had Patricia. I always screw up her name. Patricia List, the witch, you know, quote unquote, witch. Mm -hmm. you had the Satanists in the Wachung Reservation. And then all of a sudden, a girl who lived only two miles away goes missing in the middle of August. Her body isn't found until the end of September. And all of a sudden, a quote-unquote unnamed source starts telling the newspapers, oh, yeah, she was found on an altar. And then another person goes, well, no, it wasn't an altar. Uh, She was found... uh, with all these little crosses around her made out of twigs. And then another person would be like, well, no, it wasn't crosses. It was weird stones in the shape of a halo around her head. And then another person goes, oh, no, I was there. That's not what I saw. It was uh, someone had taken a bunch of logs and formed them in the shape of a coffin around her body. And then another person goes, well, my uncle's on the police department, and he said that there were little jars of dead animals found around the body. So you had all these stories come together and the press just ran with it as she was killed by a black magic ritual. Again, like I mentioned earlier, some iterations of the story would be it was a satanic cult. Others would be, no, it was a coven of witches. But it was easier for people to believe that shit because for, you know, years they had been hearing about the spooky shit that was being found in the woods of the Wachung Reservation only a mile and a half, two miles away. And oh yeah, that, that big family murder that happened. Uh, d- didn't the daughter being into witchcraft have something to do with that? I, th- I seem to remember reading something about that in the papers. So by the time Jeanette went missing and was found dead, it was not hard for people to put two and two together and come up with five. And of course, it, it took Mark Moran and I a decade of badgering and legal maneuvering to get the uh, Springfield Police Department and the Union County Prosecutor's Office to release the case file and the crime scene photos and crime scene diagrams. And when that finally happened, there was fucking nothing. There were some sticks and logs around her body, and you could tell from the photos they had been there for a while. They only vaguely formed like a like 
like trapezoid shape, I, I guess is the best you could describe it, but it's random. Th- there was no altar. There were no crosses. There were, there was no halo of stones. There were no jars of dead animals. There were no, like one telling that we heard was, Oh, there were arrows carved in the trees leading to where her body could be found. There was none of that. There was no pentagram on the ground. There was nothing. It was just a dead body in the woods with a bunch of sticks nearby, which it's the woods. There's going to be sticks there. So, again, it's it's this real fucked up situation that was kind of I don't want to say unavoidable, but it was this this series of unrelated events that ticked enough boxes in people's minds where they were like, oh, yeah, if you consider this and consider that. Oh, I could totally see that happening. Yeah, it must have been those those weirdos in the fucking woods praying to Satan. They've been killing those animals for the last five years. They finally got a kid. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's like so true it was, detective it was, type shit. You know, like exactly first season, of course. <laughs> yeah, which was weird because I was in the middle of writing that book when that first season dropped, and I'm, I'm turning it on the TV and going. This is hitting a little too close to home <laughs> for me. This is this is fucking eerie. And like the other thing that people compared it to when the book first came out was uh, I, I remember I think PBS said this. They said it was a, a real life Twin Peaks. Yeah. So it's it was just it was bizarre. But was it a cult? Fuck no. Yeah. Yeah. And with that being said, you know, like to wind up, you know, I know we've been talking for a while and uh, I know that you've got a. a busy life to live so uh in regards yeah i got kids yeah you know <laughs> things happen you know it's called adulting i guess but uh yeah but yeah in regards to you know putting a bow on these two cases you know we, with ricky um you know what are your final thoughts on on the Casso case and you just basically laid out the De Palma case so what are your final thoughts on ricky's case and you know what the lasting uh, I guess uh, I don't want to say image, but legacy. legacy yeah. The lasting will. legacy of, of Ricky not being, uh, you know, associated with the sat- satanic panic or any of these cases. Well, the interesting thing about the legacy of that story is it's more, you know, and thank God, thank God it's not a societal legacy. I mean, like, it's it the ghost of it is always kind of there but like it's not as like in your face as certain other things were that were later rejiggered into the the satanic panic if you will like you said it was weird like after it happened after he committed suicide and then his accomplice jimmy triana was found not guilty at trial it kind of disappeared and people started focusing more on like the mcmartin preschool Mm -hmm. shit and uh Oh, God. Again, the Judas Priest suicides and the Ozzy Osbourne suicide with Suicide Solution. The Lincoln, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People moved on to it pretty quickly. And that sort of like vacuum or void, if you will, that the mass media moving on left. um, It became like, you know, heavy metal musicians and horror filmmakers would take inspiration from it. There's at least... By my last count, there are at least 36 um, well-known heavy metal songs and stoner rock and doom songs that are inspired by Casso. Um, Casso is where the band Acid King got their name, and Lori wrote a bunch of songs about Ricky back in the day. Um, You know, 
there's like I want to say like six or seven motion pictures like Black Circle Boys is inspired by it. Uh, Dark Places. Uh, there was Ricky Six, but that never was officially released. That was like kind of like a lost film for a long time until a work print showed up on YouTube. Um, like, again, it's mostly just an artistic legacy. But the sad thing about the whole Casso case is just how avoidable it was. You know, uh, I, I really hate to put the bulk of the blame on his parents, but, you know, if the glove fits, you know, for lack of a better term. But, you know, do I think that if maybe his father had been a better parent um, and wasn't so abusive, do I think he would have ended up in the woods that night murdering his friend over $50 worth of PCP? I don't think so. I think, you know, a really good end note for that story is something that um, one of Gary's friends uh, told me while I was writing the book, uh, this guy, Professor Anthony Zankis. Um, he told me, he goes, Satan made a really good scapegoat for this story because it saved society from having to look in the mirror. Yep. Sounds at the end of the day, this this was a community where multiple kids were living in the woods and living in cars and crashing on couches because their parents would throw them out like the the weekend trash. You know, if if they weren't being what they wanted them to be as kids, they would just go, You're, you don't live here anymore. Get out. Leave. I had my father do that to me once, you know, and, and maybe that's why I have like a little bit more sympathy in this story than some other authors would. But you you can't cast your children out into the streets and then, you know, clutch your pearls when they get caught up in bad shit. That your kids should be home with you and you should be loving and nurturing them and trying to guide them. You, th that tough love bullshit does not work. And it has a body count. It certainly does. You know, I, you know, I, I think that those kids would still be alive today if if the parents did a better job of, uh, you know, bringing them up and that the school systems didn't fail them and that the police department didn't fail them. You know, are, are they culpable? Yeah, they made their own decisions. But, you know, dig a little deeper looking, you know, happy kids don't go and become angel dust freaks and live in the woods. No. And they sure as hell don't kill their friends. No, so. and, and it kind of, in a scary way, it's kind of what's going on today in the world of transphobia and homophobia again. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, we're back to that stage. Uh, thought we moved on, but apparently that's okay to be a bigot and a racist and a homophobe and a xenophobe, transphobe, whatever you want to be. You know, it's not doing anybody any service when you do this stuff you're again what you're doing is you're casting these kids into a certain light and then some parents are going to kick them out because they don't follow their beliefs or whatever and it's just a problem mm. that it just gets recycled into something else it's not satanic panic now it's oh my god they're indoctrinating indoctrinating my children in schools and drag queen shows and well, at the end of the day, the people that are going to attack you, the people that are going to molest you, the people that are going to indoctrinate you, they're, they're going to be either your parents, your uncle, or your freaking, um, yeah, you know, your pastor. Your so, pastor. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, the people. Your teacher. Anybody who, 
who cries about this stuff generally is the one that's perpetuating these types of actions. So, yeah, and that goes the same with killers. You are more likely to be murdered in America by a relative or a lover than a stranger. Absolutely. You know, and 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 that's not to say that, you know, stranger danger wasn't like a valid concern. Like I remember <laughs> it's kind of fucked up to laugh about, but like it is like sort of sweet and innocent in the same way, too. I remember my mom sitting me down when I was like five or six years old and telling me, Jesse, if someone ever pulls up in a car outside and tells you to get in, don't you ever do it, even if they offer you that Power Ranger toy that you want. <laughs> <laughs> my mom watched a lot of Oprah and a lot of Ricky Lake and she got convinced. She was like, Oh my God, if a child molester rolled up and promised Jesse a red Ranger figure, he'd probably get in the car. You're probably like, she was selling me short, man. I was smarter than that. At least I like to think I was, they would have had to get me with a Jurassic park toy. Yeah, those, those, were, to yeah, those were more expensive too. You know? Yeah, man. I'll tell you. Fucking Kenner was coming out with the good shit back yeah, then. Yeah, they were. But yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on and talking about these cases because even though they're older cases, they're, they're still very prescient with what's going on in the world today. They're different versions of what's going on. But again, hindsight's twenty twenty. We can look back and say, yeah, this was completely insane. But it comes back. It comes back. Even Crystal Pepsi came back, man. Even Crystal Pepsi. Right now. There's no tomorrow. <laughs> All right. I'll probably get sued for that. But anyway, uh, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> seriously, that uh, that is definitely a very cyclical thing. And it just comes back packaged in a different uh, different way. Yeah. And if I can uh, get a plug Absolutely. in, speaking of capitalism, um, for, for the listeners who weren't familiar with these uh, cases that we discussed beforehand – um, for the Jeanette Palma case, if you'd like to read um, the book that I co-wrote with Mark Moran, uh, again, it's called Death on the Devil's Teeth. We put out a revised edition about two years ago with a lot more information that was in the 2015 edition that is available on. Um, well, you can get it just about anywhere, but if you're conscious about, you know, like what's the best way to support a writer, definitely get it from the publisher website. That's Arcadia Publishing. I think it's ArcadiaPublishing.com, but you know you can also go through IndieBound if you want. If you want to avoid the dreaded Amazon machine, um, if you want like a good primer for getting into that case, I hosted a podcast a number of years back that went into detail and and had some. You know, it was documenting the revelations as I was finding them, and that podcast is called Devil's Teeth, and that's on. I think it's on just about every podcasting platform. Um, for the Castle case, of course, there's the book The Acid King, which came out in 2018. It's available anywhere. And if you want, if if you've already read the book or you want a primer before reading the book, um, the documentary that I co-directed with Dan Jones of the same name, it's also just called The Acid King. Um, that's available on on a Blu-ray. You can get it through uh, Wild Eye Releasing's website and a number of other online retailers. And it is streaming for free, but with uh, a lot of commercials because, you know, the the platform's got to get paid too. 
Um, it's streaming on Tubi right now, and I think it might be available for streaming purchase at a few other places. I think Voodoo had it for a while, but uh, yeah, definitely check those out. And if for some horrifying reason you enjoy the um, the tangents that we went on, where some things were flippantly discussed, uh, definitely check out a couple podcasts that I do with some friends. One's called Podcast Twelve Eighty Nine. That's one two eight nine. And we just kind of lampoon satanic panic stories that we found, uh, stupid conspiracy theories. Like we, uh, one of our most popular episodes was about the um, the conspiracy uh, conspiracy theory that Stephen King shot and killed John Lennon. That was a fun yes. one. And yes, there is a I don't want to say a sizable group, but there are people that take that seriously. And uh, if you want to hear the same group of friends and I. Uh, review lampoon and ridicule some of the worst true crime movies that have ever been made definitely check out true crime movie club that's also available on uh pretty much every podcasting platform um a lot of great direct-to-video garbage that we have watched <laughs> um you'd be surprised how many ted bundy movies there are holy shit yeah yeah that, there's and they're not many many of them that are very good so <laughs> Nope. Nope. <laughs> hard to hard to dress that one up. <laughs> God damn, that Zach Efron one was fucking terrible. Yeah, it was uh Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Hey, you know who we should get to tackle this very horrifying and sensitive subject? The director of Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows. <laughs> but then again, he did do he did do the Paradise Lost films. Those were great, but he still did Blair Witch 2, and we have not forgiven Joe for that yet. Yeah, that's a tough one to get out out of the Hollywood jail. <laughs> yeah, no. It was they they could have done a bit better. But anyway, but yeah, that's my that's my plug. If if you all want to get a little bit more uh familiar with those stories, and if you just need like you need a release from how dark true crime can be. If you want to listen to some knuckleheads talking about terrible true crime movies, or again, those stupid conspiracy theories, definitely check out podcast 1289 and true crime movie club. Awesome. Jesse, you're always the best. Oh, thank you so much for having me on bill. It's always, it, I, I love how we go off on these tangents. Cause, uh, you know, sometimes I'm on other shows and, and this isn't knocking them, but sometimes on other shows, you you can't be as loose. Like you've got to be, you know, you got to be the M. William Phelps and just be like, yes, on this this terrible day, the body was found. And like, you know, it can be exhausting doing that. So just being able to like talk frankly about these things, like I, I, I got to give a shout out to your listeners. I was I was really humbled by, I, I don't know if that's the right word or not, you know, some fucking writer I am, but either way, um, it, it touched me uh, reading some of the feedback that you got for the episode where we talked about how the the families of the Lisk victims have been exploited by the media. Like I thought, you know, cause I went off, like I'm really passionate about that cause and uh I was really expecting some people to be like, who the fuck is this asshole talking all this shit? But to see like a lot of people um, really understood where I was coming from, like that meant a lot. So everyone listening in, shout out to you all. Uh, you know, it's it, it, it was really great to, to hear that I wasn't um, being taken the wrong way because because I was I was kind of teetering on that edge, I think. <laughs> yeah. And in, in regards to like our conversations, you know, I just feel like a lot of these things can be just discussed. We can just have an open conversation about it. And I think you just got to talk, you just got to be real about yeah. it. You just got to, you know, like you got to 
you know, be frank when you talk about this stuff. Yeah, you really do. And and the bottom line at the end of the day is there are victims and there are family members that are still out there and it's it's tragic. And, uh, you know, we're just trying to bring clarity to the case, not exploit it. Yeah, because because if if the stories are going to be out there, you know, you're never going to stop the media from talking about true crime. But if they are going to talk about it, you you have to call them out when they're getting shit wrong. And if it's the pot calling the kettle black because I'm a journalist calling out other journalists. Well, so fucking be it. At least at the end of the day, I'll have my integrity. Yep, I agree. hundred percent. So, Jesse, thank you again. And I can't wait to have you back on for sure thing man like again uh always a pleasure coming on here and anytime you want to talk some shit on anything in this this strange sphere that we sort of orbit with uh the the whole true crime culture if you will like i'm always happy to come on right on man thank you very much again and uh thank you appreciate it and i'm sure the audience loved it and uh again until next time i hope so please don't mail me a parcel bomb Don't worry. I'm actually a really nice and funny guy. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, Jesse. Until then. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you guys so much again for tuning in this week. And major thanks to Jesse Pollock for joining us to discuss the case of Ricky Casso, the Satanic Panic, and the Acid King, as well as Jeanette De Palma, as well as some David Fincher talk. And some uh, truth about the Zodiac books. So, yeah, it was a very interesting conversation. I think you guys uh, enjoy when Jesse's on. He does have uh, opinions, which is great. Uh, I'm very opinionated myself. So it's uh, definitely great to hear his, uh, his takes. And I am thankful for him joining us again on Who Killed. So, as you guys know, I drop new episodes every Friday. And I will... See you again next week, but until next time, as always, stay healthy and be safe. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series... And that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris, and this is my story. 
conning the con.